What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Bill Barheit is a CEO of Abra. In this conversation, we talk about everything from regulation to crypto payments to DeFi protocols and how we can bring all of this technology to the mainstream. I really enjoyed this conversation with Bill, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I first want to talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by BlockFi. BlockFi provides financial products for crypto investors. Those products include the BlockFi wallet, a U.S. dollar loan collateralized by your crypto, and a no-fee trading product. BlockFi also released the world's first crypto rewards credit card. It's a Visa credit card that gives you crypto back as your rewards instead of cash back or airline miles. They recently introduced Rewards Flex, so customers choose which crypto assets they receive from their credit card rewards from the BlockFi Rewards credit card. For people in the U.S. who own or are interested in owning crypto or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn more crypto because you earn 1.5% back in crypto on every single purchase and you have no annual fee. I'm an investor in the business and a very, very happy user. The BlockFi Rewards credit card is the easiest way to earn crypto. For a limited time, when you sign up using my link, blockfi.com slash pompcc, you will get $75 back in crypto on your first swipe. Use your everyday spending to diversify your crypto portfolio. I've got the credit card. I love it. And I think you will too. Head on over to blockfi.com slash pompcc today. Next up is Choice. It's time to stop paying capital gains taxes on your Bitcoin. And Choice is here to help. Choice is rebuilding the way Bitcoiners approach retirement by making it possible to invest in Bitcoin and 19 other digital assets inside your IRA. Right now, every time you make a trade, you have to pay capital gains taxes that can be as high as 37%. Choice enables you to trade real Bitcoin, other cryptos, and stocks without having to pay a dime in capital gains. The best part? They just released an iOS app, so you can open an account in less than 10 minutes and take control of your future from the palm of your hand. Join me and the 20,000 other Bitcoiners who have started their tax-efficient stack and open your Choice account today. Search Stack Sats in the App Store or visit choiceapp.io slash pomp. Again, search Stack Sats in the App Store or visit choiceapp.io slash pomp. And one more thing, if you want to hold your private keys, Choice lets you do that too. Start stacking tax-efficient Satoshis today and visit choiceapp.io slash pomp. This episode is brought to you by CryptoToday.com. Exchanges got decentralized, money got decentralized, and the only bottleneck is the very sites listing them all. CryptoToday.com is like decentralized coin market cap. It's the first of its kind. There's no bribes, no connections, or heavy fees are needed to get listed like on the centralized sites. You can simply request on the blockchain and disperse the prize on-chain to the community and get fact-checked by thousands of eager crypto users. CryptoToday.com treats very differently. There's no pre-sale, no VC money, and all of the team is locked up for at least one year. All the centralized competitors have valuations in the billions of dollars. CryptoToday.com started out at $0 as the first decentralized token information site. You can read the white paper at CryptoToday.com. Again, go to CryptoToday.com to learn more. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. 
All right, we next have uh, my friend Bill Barheit. Bill is uh, the founder CEO of Abra. Uh, he spent a ton of time uh, in the intelligence world. He spent a bunch of time building uh, various mobile money, financial service platforms, et cetera, all around the world. Uh, Abra has become a very large uh, business today. And uh, he's got some very unique thoughts, I think, about uh, just the crypto market in general, but also where some of this technology is going. So, Bill, how, uh, how are you? I'm good, man. How's it going? All right, let, let's do this. Uh, maybe let's start with just kind of your overall read. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of like various price action in Bitcoin, lots of excitement, lots of uh, drops, whatever. Uh, we saw plenty of macro hedge fund uh, managers, billionaires, et cetera, yep. all coming into the market into 2020 and beginning of 2021. Uh, we started to see institutions coming into the market. We got public companies with it on their balance sheet. Like a lot of progress has been made in the last two years, nation states, et cetera. Like what's your general reader? Is like, is Bitcoin winning? Is that maybe like, a, a fair way to phrase it? I think Bitcoin is gaining acceptance. I, I, I think winning, I mean, what does winning mean, right? I mean, Bitcoin doesn't care. So, so Bitcoin is gaining acceptance. And I, I think where we were at the beginning of last year was that everybody was saying, oh, the institutional money is coming into Bitcoin and crypto. And that really wasn't true. I think two things were happening. One, a ton of high net worth money, family office money was coming in. You can call that institutional money. I don't, but 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 that's that's one. And two, we had this kind of grayscale ARB, which wasn't really an ARB, as you know, um, which was basically causing a lot of money to come into the, uh, the the grayscale trust, which was basically causing more Bitcoin to get hoarded. When that opportunity ended and un unwound, um, obviously um, kind of coinciding with um, the China mining ban, the network effects kind of paused. Now, what we're seeing coming out of last year and into this year is true institutional interest. Uh, asset managers, um, you know, even larger family offices, other types of trusts, uh, hedge funds that aren't just crypto native. Obviously, we have t a ton of crypto native hedge funds now who do nothing but hoard crypto. But the true asset managers are now looking hard or holding or saying, if we don't get into this, we're going to miss the boat. That is a different narrative. We saw this in all of the Q1 allocator meetings that traditionally happen uh, January and February in particular, that the, um, the, the, the volume of interest from the institutions was unparalleled, nothing even close to uh, what we saw last year. And, and that's a big change. Now, Combine that with what's happened in the traditional capital markets over the past kind of six months. And given the incremental extreme volatility that crypto has traditionally faced, and the fact that we're at what, 42, 43,000 Bitcoin, 3,200 Ethereum, wherever we were a few minutes ago, tells me that, okay, this is really interesting. Now, there's always a chance the bottom falls out temporarily, but the fact that we've basically held this level. Um, when stocks have had an extreme sell-off uh, is, is really impressive to me. And uh, I think that basically crypto is looking for a reason to go higher at this point. So when you think about uh, kind of Bitcoin as an investment asset, there's also Bitcoin plus other technologies that people are trying to do around the payment technology. Um, have we gone mainstream yet? And if not, what is it going to take to get kind of mainstream adoption where uh, maybe 50% or more of payments in, in a uh, society or an economy are actually done on crypto rails, not on fiat rails? 
Yeah, I think this is, we're not even close, right? I mean, we've barely started, but this is coming and I think it's going to happen. And the, this here is, is a couple of things. One, I think there's going to be broad acceptance that in international markets, uh, people are going to want to hold Bitcoin and not spend it. And, but they're going to realize that they have instant uh, collateral for credit. And, and this is going to become a booming business in international markets. I don't think it'll have a huge impact on the price of, of Bitcoin in the short term because those payments will tend to be smaller. Uh, but you're going to see billions of dollars in, in, in dollar-based or fiat-based payments using Bitcoin and Ethereum as collateral for those payments. Okay. Uh, and and it, these are markets that are traditionally exclusively debit markets, right? And pretty much, you know, India, Bangladesh, uh, Turkey, Philippines, just a massive, Indonesia, massive countries that have no credit markets, okay? They're going to basically, over the next 10 years, start to adopt Bitcoin, probably the next five years, uh, adopt Bitcoin as savings and then leverage it uh, for uh, for credit, okay? So, when you... so that's part one. Okay, go ahead, keep go going. Ahead. No, so, so, so part two is... Um, you know, what really happens in, in the U.S. and in established credit markets, and this is where I think you're going to start to see the credit card networks play a huge role. You know, I, I think that uh, stable coins are going to become the backbone for settlement uh, in, in different uh, uh, payment systems, including the card networks. Uh, I think uh, this demo that, that, that was published of, of uh, Tether over Lightning was super interesting to me because you can do true... Uh, uh, micro transactions on debit rails without actually having to use any credit for settlement whatsoever. Debit rails in the United States actually are credit based, meaning that the, somebody is extending credit to someone else in order to facilitate a debit transaction because the system it doesn't have what we call straight through processing. All of this is going to be changed by the finality of crypto settlement in, in the next couple of years, maybe five years. Uh, for certain transactions, and then for every transaction over the next 10 to 15 years. When you think about kind of crossing this chasm or, or bringing the mainstream adoption, the payments, I think, is, uh, uh, um, as you outlined, like, it's pretty clear cut. There's a whole bunch of what I'll call crypto native stuff, though. This is all sorts of uh, DeFi staking or automated uh, market making and, and kind of all these things yep. that if you're in crypto, you're like, oh, I get that. But if I told, you know, my mom or somebody on the street, they'd be like, dude, you sound like a crazy person. Like, how do we right. get that stuff into the mainstream as well? So so that's a great question, right? So you tell the average person, I'm, oh, I'm making, you know, 17% on USDC and Anchor. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Scam. No, they, what is no, Anchor? Like, what scam. is USDC? Well, first of all, I don't understand what you just said. What is USDC? What is Anchor? You may as well be making 17% on Jujubees because I don't understand what you're talking about. So, so. I think there's a few things. Yes, the computer science and crypto native folks will continue to push the envelope and, and take that free money, if you will, and, and, and the risks that go along with it. And it's acting as a big global test that DeFi can basically act as lending, payment, trade rails for a, a kind of new banking system. And then what happens over the, the next kind of five to 10 years is that these DeFi rails become plumbing in next generation banking services. I know at Abra, we use DeFi to generate a certain amount of yield that we pay to our high net worth investors today. And it's in the background, they don't know it. They just know that the blended rate is 8% or whatever it is, and it's a risk adjusted rate. We go through a risk committee process and it's, you know, you know this with, with other companies you're involved with. And, you know, it's, it's all in the background. 
And, and so that's the future of banking. The future of banking is going to be consumer facing, high net worth, retail, business facing services that all use these DeFi rails, but in a way that hides the complexity of those rails to the average investor or bank user. And this actually represents a big problem because for regulators, there's no border here, right? There's no off switch. They're 24 seven. Think about it, right? Stock markets are closed more than they're open. These DeFi services are open 24 seven. You can use collateral, Bitcoin as collateral to get a loan for your DeFi 24 seven, 365. Uh, and you can pay it back 24 seven, 365. You, know, you can tokenize equities and those markets are open 24 seven, 365. So the DeFi markets are, are the plumbing of the future. They represent a, a not only a technology shift, but a regulatory shift because there's no borders. There's, there's no off switch. Eventually, there's an off switch today. But eventually, there'll be a, no off switch and the regulators will have no chance. What do you think their response to that is? Do they change the rules or, or what happens? I think in the short term, the regulators, in, for lack of like legal clarity, meaning regulators interpret laws. There's no law today that uses the word DeFi or Bitcoin in, 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 at the federal level, right? So, so what will happen is, is they'll try to interpret existing laws to kind of make this oval peg fit in their round hole, just like they did with the Fin- original FinCEN guidance and the original CFTC guidance that basically uh, alluded to Bitcoin being a commodity, which I never agreed with. It's just software, but that ship has sailed. And so we have what we have. They're going to try that. But eventually what they're going to realize it's untenable because it's a big ass planet. And when you have something that has no borders, our rules may not make any sense uh, or they may not have any value or they you know, certainly won't protect anyone. And, and so at some point, the rules just won't matter, but they will try in the short term, probably the, the you know, certainly five to 10 year time frame. And that'll help institutions that that prefer to ask for permission uh, that don't really understand the, the, the basis for which our Constitution uh, uh, works. You know, it's not Germany where you actually have to ask for permission to do everything. But a lot of institutional investors like to ask for permission because it saves them in their minds a lot of hassle later. All that's going away. It's just a question of when. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, Another thing that uh, is kind of related to this is not regulators, but uh, we'll call it accounting. Uh, I'm going to read this because I don't want to mess this up. But there's a staff accounting bulletin 121. And uh, it says it noted the high technological, legal, and regulatory risks associated with the custody of crypto assets relative to traditional assets. You think it's short Unlike Netflix. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you think it's short-sighted. Why? It's, it's not that it's short-sighted. It's just wrong. So, I mean, it, it's like saying, you know, like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interject, but like, look at the Netflix example. If you're, if you're long Netflix, and I know a lot of people who've got the vast majority of their wealth in the FANG stocks. And I know people who have got the vast, some people who have all of their wealth in Apple and they just borrow against those shares and pay no taxes, which is perfectly legal, perfectly reasonable way to live. Except if Apple was to basically miss on iPhone shipments and the stock was to fall 40%, that guy might start getting a lot of margin calls on all the loans it is outstanding, which could cause a cascading effect on having to sell some of the Apple shares, which is making this position even more uh, uh, precarious. So, so again, I don't see a lot of like, um, you know, accounting rules or SEC statements regarding people holding FANG stocks. I think what people don't understand is that when you have something that is the fastest adopted technology in history, it trades 24-7, it's highly leverageable, uh, especially outside the U.S., the chart at log scale looks up and to the right. 
like when in doubt, zoom out. But but on the way up in that extreme kind of exponential growth, you're going to get these kind of volatile spikes. That's exactly what happened to Amazon from 1998 to 2010. It's no different. Um, it's just that the SEC and, and, and these kind of folks that, that do these accounting uh, you know, documents, they're more comfortable with stocks because it's, it's something that they feel that they can control. They can't, obviously, but they feel that they can. And it's just not true. And, and so the reality is, is that all of this, there's these warnings, it's, it's, it's wrong in the sense that they just don't understand what they're warning you against. Yeah. It, it's, um, uh, lack of education and lack of experience using the technologies is a dangerous combination, right? It, it's right. a toxic combination if, uh, if they start creating rules, but don't actually understand what the ramifications so, of it are. So, so put it in context, if, if. You know, the CFTC and the SEC would agree today that, that Bitcoin is a commodity, at least in terms of regulatory standards. Ask the average lawyer who makes these decisions and, and tries to figure this out what a UTXO is. And my guess is, is you'll, you'll get a blank stare. So, so that's a problem, right? If you don't understand first principles and what something is at its core, and yet you're tasked with figuring out how to make this work with, in some cases, 80, 90 year old regulation, it, it's, it's insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why in most cases, the best thing to do is nothing and get out of the way, let the markets figure it out, you know, go after clear cut cases of fraud and abuse uh, and let the markets handle everything else because they get it better than you do. It's, uh, it's wild. Joe, John, what questions do you guys got? Bill, my question would just be on the institutional side. Just talk me through kind of what you're seeing, how it looks today, and what it might look like in the future. Yeah, sure. So, so right now it's pretty basic, right? Most um, kind of you know individual partners at at institutions that we talk to are involved in crypto in some way. Oh, I've I've owned Bitcoin in the past. I, I own some Bitcoin now. I'm testing DeFi. Like the, the the number of people that we talk to that are personally involved is incredible. I mean, it's, a, it's way over 50%, right? Um, and, and it also depends upon the events. There's some conferences where it's just like a bunch of, you know, boomer, you know, uh, investor types who just don't get it. But, but you know, for the, for the, certainly the younger crowd, I would say the under 40 crowd, the number of people we talk to who are personally in crypto is incredibly high. And so now those people are really pushing, I think, a lot of these institutional asset managers to come up with crypto strategies. And that's basically starting to take effect. I mean, we are seeing, uh, I've, I've spoken at, you know, probably upwards of, I don't know, 10, at least 10 allocator conferences this year, uh, where, you know, by and large, everyone in the room is trying to figure out a crypto strategy. This is significantly different than where we were last year, when for most firms, it was still too early. So the last year has seen the biggest shift I've seen in traditional asset managers looking at crypto as a viable component to the to the portfolio um you know i haven't seen it yet at the sovereign wealth fund level where you know they probably feel that they're not allowed to hold directly they may need securitized versions of the crypto but for private asset managers uh, everyone is either figuring out their crypto strategy already has one is already allocated or is trying to figure out an allocation um, and even the largest I've spoken to reps from some of the largest ones that haven't publicly announced and kind of off the record have said, yeah, we're already doing this in very small amounts. And for them, small amounts might be hundreds of millions of dollars, right? 
Yeah. Bill, can you talk about your guys' borrowing product for a little bit? Just who's borrowing the stuff? What kind of collateral are they using? What kind of rates are they getting? Can you just talk about the economics behind that? Sure. So, so we run a, a lending desk, mostly institutional. We have some retail facing as well. Uh, we have lending licenses in the U.S. and I think uh, 44 states, and, and, but our institutional business operates in like 100, 100 countries as well. Um, our, our lending book is, uh, I think, about one, a little under $2 billion now. And, and growing very fast uh, with zero, uh, you know, right at the start of COVID. So, so it's 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 our fastest growing business. And basically, what it does is it takes uh, um, collateral in in crypto X and lends out in in crypto Y, where crypto Y may be stable coins, for example. So we might take in Bitcoin or Ethereum as collateral, uh, lend out dollars. Uh, we might take in USDC as collateral, lend out lend out Bitcoin, uh, depending upon the use case. And and so we go very deep in in onboarding potential institutional clients in terms of use of funds, balance sheets, existing leverage in the system, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then make, you know, investing, uh, lending decisions based upon all of these factors. It takes several weeks to do that. And, and the rates would be commensurate with risk profile, collateral, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we also do a certain amount of DeFi investing today. Uh, this is extremely complex because we go very, very deep in terms of analyzing uh, smart contract code. So we've got you know, MIT analysts who will graduates who will go into Solidity Code and test DeFi positions for weeks at a time before making small allocations from our lending book in order to you know further uh, pump uh, yield um, for our uh, for our users. And so all of this uh, in our in our lending business creates kind of a, a blended yield for uh, different products uh, for Bitcoin uh, product, the, the dollar stable coins, Ethereum, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. Bill, if you had to uh, kind of put money on one thing that most people are not expecting to happen in the next 12 months, leave us with uh, what's that one thing that you're like, yeah, I think this is going to happen and, uh, and everyone is not expecting it. Oh, wow. Uh, not expecting it. So let's see. So on, on the payment rails, uh, I think you're going to see uh, the first payment services on the card networks that use crypto as collateral this year. Okay. Um, and so there's already cards out there that pay crypto rewards. That's great. I, I, I use a couple, uh, but you're going to see the first traditional card network product this year that pay in dollars, but determine your credit worthiness in crypto. I don't know if I would say no one's expecting it. I just think that it's a, it's a massive opportunity in the crypto space that I don't see a lot of people talking about. I think um, the biggest problem in kind of the DAP world right now is MetaMask. Uh, you need you need a PhD in computer science to basically use MetaMask, and if you don't have a PhD and you try to use it, your chances of losing your NFTs or your stable coins or your DeFi investment are tremendous. Uh, I've read stats that there's double digit percentages of people that have basically lost stuff via MetaMask, and so I think there's going to be a tremendous effort uh, over the next couple of years to solve the MetaMask problem. And as investors, we both have funds, and so. You know, we're seeing a lot there. And Abra is working on on stuff in this area, which we'll be announcing. Uh, I know others are too. Uh, but we think that the payment space as it relates to solving the MetaMask problem, uh, solving the credit problem for people who are long crypto uh, is, is the biggest opportunity that we see in the crypto space over the next few years. I, uh, I tend to think that that's probably a pretty good selection of a problem. And the bigger the problem, the bigger the uh, uh, financial opportunity, right, if, uh, if you can end up being yep. a part of that solution. So uh, that's awesome. Where can we send people to find you on the Internet or find out more about Abra? Sure. I'm Bill Barheit on Twitter. Uh, you can go to abra.com, obviously. 
uh, download download the app and join millions of people who are using Abra today. Uh, our trader and borrow products are are live in over a hundred countries, and uh, yeah, so just go to abra.com. I'm I'm pretty pretty active, uh, not every day, but but some days on Twitter, uh, Bill Barheights, and uh, my guess is if, if if you're motivated, you'll you'll find us. <laughs> the, uh, the I'm pretty active, not every day. We got to get it to every day. We need you tweeting every day. Yeah, great insight. I have a job. We we've we've uh, we've ten x the size of the team uh, over the last kind of fifteen months. So. I'm pretty busy. Uh, right now. <laughs> Twitter is a job, Bill. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's it's, a, it's a, not a job, but it's an adventure for sure. Awesome, buddy. Listen, thank you so much for uh, uh, for coming on. We'll definitely have to bring you back. And uh, anyone who wants to go check out Abra, go ahead and uh, do that or follow Bill on Twitter. Yeah, good to see you guys. Later, buddy. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.